Let's stand and worship this evening, fellowship. Joyful, joyful, we are God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Milk the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the College, man, there was like no reaction <laughs> there. <laughs> Freedom had nothing there. Let's try it again. Good evening, Fellowship College. A little better, a little better there. Hey, the year was 2007. It was in Thailand. I was there with Garland Autry. We were in this small, very small fishing village that I don't think I'd ever be able to find again. Uh, 
And for two days, we were, we were sitting at this meat kind of stand, and we were just sharing this, the gospel with this couple, just in between customers, trying to have spiritual conversations with them. And out of nowhere in the conversation, Garland looks at him and goes, hey, so are y'all ready to pray and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And in my mind, I was like, what are you doing? The time is not right. What's going on? I can't believe he just asked that question. And something happened in that moment that I think forever changed my life. This couple, both of them looked at us and said, yeah, we're ready. And and it, it planted something in me that just made me say, man, this is what I want to be a part of for the rest of my life. And if you don't know me, my name is Brian Pope, and I'm the Global Outreach Director or Missions Pastor here at Fellowship. And this summer, and I know it's early to think about the summer, but this summer we want to give you that same opportunity to be able to take the gospel message into a place where it is not established. And I want to introduce you to two of our global workers, Chris and Lauren, and they are serving uh, in Southeast Asia. Is that a good enough description? I can't say the exact place uh, because it's a little risky where they're at, but could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? So we are Chris and Lauren. We have been overseas in Southeast Asia for almost eight years um, in the most populous Muslim nation in the world. Um, We have three daughters who are seven, four, and one. Um, And... No. Sorry. I thought he was talking to you. Um, So we have been there. Um, A couple that has lived overseas for 20-plus years at the time called us and said, back when I was working for Light Bears, actually, based out of Fayetteville here, um, they said, will you come on a trip with Light Bears, but will you consider staying, like, for your life? Like, come and have a vision trip, but then come back and give your life to this. And it shocked us, but it, for the first time, caused us to go before the Lord and pray and say, God, is this what you would have us to do? And so we felt that God was saying that we should go, and so we did. And so we are excited to be here tonight because we believe that for many of you in this room, this could be the beginning of the moment that you go before the Lord and ask that question And that you say, Lord, how do you want me to be involved in your heart for the nations? And so Chris is going to share some of what we do and an opportunity for you. Um, And so we want you to listen and not just think that this is for someone else next to you that maybe already feels called to be a missionary. But this is for each of us to listen to what God might be prompting in your heart tonight. Yeah, it's really good to stand in front of you guys. Um, In the eastern part of the country that we serve in, there are 58 unreached people groups. And that means unreached that this, there are individual groups of people with language and culture that will have no Jesus option. They will be born, grow up, raise families of their own, and die and never have the possibility to choose or reject Jesus. And that's an injustice. That's an injustice. And so God has given a beautiful and a powerful vision for the eastern part of this country um, to send people out to spread the gospel. Now, how does that happen? We work at a college campus, and God has kind of said, hey, I'm gonna do this, and so get on board and be a part of this vision, and we are excited, and we've gotten to see him do some of this. So we work at a college campus. It's about 26,000 students. It's a big campus. Um, I uh, actually teach part-time there, um, but what we do is we look at discipling and mobilizing and training up college students that 
grew up, a lot of them nominally Christian, and they were gonna go through their four years of college and say, by the time I graduate, you know what? I wanna give my life as a sacrifice and go somewhere to give someone that Jesus option that maybe will never have had it if I don't go there. So we send people out in conjunction with a local uh, national organization and they go out in their profession, doctors, lawyers, teachers, and they go to some places that normally people, if they're looking for a career path, wouldn't go to. Um, and they go out to these places and they say, I'm gonna establish myself in this community and I'm going to disciple Muslims that will then in turn become obedient followers of Jesus planting house churches that will then disciple others that will plant more house churches until those 58 people groups become less and less and a movement spreads across that. So real quick, how that breaks down. We sent out uh, one of our first people that we've, uh, we got a ch chance to send out and these are um, nationally born people in the country we serve in. Uh, he's a lawyer. And he went out to a place that is really hostile to live in, um, him and his wife and their two kids. And they, over the past two years, have seen a people group that's about 15,000 people that, to get there, it takes a boat, a car, well, from our city, it's a plane, a boat, a car, another boat, and another car just to get to this, this, this area. And in that place... There is a house church that was started last year, the first known house church amongst this people group. And that is exciting. And then fast forward even through COVID, there is a second group that is meeting that is starting to become a second house church from these obedient disciples in a place where Jesus has never been named, okay? And that is coming through this vision of seeing college students go out in their professions but live differently and live proclaiming the gospel. So what we want to throw out to you guys is for you to think about what that might look like for you to come out to where we are, to come out and engage, live life for a month, two months. We're not really sure how that's going to pan out. We're going to see who wants to get involved and see how that might happen. But to come out, partner up with some of our college students that, uh, that are trying to live this out on campus and trying to grow and learn in this and be a part of these students and yourselves growing and understanding and knowing what God's heart is and specifically this vision that he said, I'm gonna sweep across this eastern part of this country. So we wanna throw that out there to you guys that uh, number one, God has a big vision for lots of parts of the world and in our eastern part of our country, uh, he's doing that and it's exciting. Um, how would you might get involved? Uh, come out and visit, visit us. And so our, our challenge to you tonight is not just to kind of hear this and let it be in the back of your mind, and like I said before, not just to assume that this is for the one or two rare people that already feel like they're going to be a missionary, but for you to even maybe commit and say, Lord, for the month of October, I'm going to be intentional and pray and fast specifically with this time frame so that it doesn't just sort of stay in the back of my mind. But I'm going to pray for the month of October and say, God, how would you have me be involved in your heart for the nations? And Jesus says he's coming back once some from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation have heard the gospel, and then the end will come, and it will not come before then. And so he wants us to be engaged in the nations. He wants us to be engaged in discipling all the nations and baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. And so John Piper says, go, send, or disobey, but the Great Commission leaves no other option. 
And we believe that if you look through scripture and you see the golden thread of God's heart for the nations, you will see that that is true, that you can go, send, or disobey, but the Great Commission leaves no other option. So take the month of October, pray, ask people in your community groups or your college pastors and, and the people around you to hold you to accountable to say, God, how would you have me be involved in this? And perhaps it's a short-term trip to our country. Perhaps it's a long-term trip here. Perhaps that's a vision trip to see, God, is this something that you'd have me do for the long term? But don't miss what he might be calling you to, and you won't know if you don't ask. But we believe that if more students in this room tonight asked the Lord how he wanted you to be involved, that you would go and that God would use you for eternal impact for his glory. So pray about that and be excited to see what he's going to tell you. Woo! Can we give them a hand? Is that not exciting stuff? Hey, we just want you to do those two things. Hey, set aside the month of October, pray. And if you feel at all that God might be urging you, we just want you to get on the Instagram, uh, Fellowship Colleges Instagram, and, and there's a link in the bio where you can just fill out. Just, it's not a commitment, just saying, hey, I might be interested in, in going on one of these trips. Let's pray. Dear God, there is, uh, man, just something special about taking the gospel where it's not. And we, we believe that we're just living in obedience, dear Lord, as we do that. I pray for Chris and Lauren. I thank you for the work that they're doing. I thank you that right now, today, there's a church established where there's never been one in history because some of the ministry that they've been involved with. And God, we're inviting the students that are sitting here in this room tonight to possibly get involved as well, and I pray that you would speak clearly to them, dear Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Guys, Brian Pope is one of the best storytellers that, that I've, I've been around, and uh, one of my favorite guys to hear stories from, and that's a, that's a form of art, telling a story. Um, show of hands, how many of you partake or maybe even are just uh, influenced by art. So art being uh, music, songwriting, poetry, uh, painting, graphic design, photography, anything like that, show of hands. Who, who partakes in things like that? Who expresses themselves through art somewhat? Cool. Hands all over the room, that's awesome. So as a, as a worship team here recently, we've been learning about art and how there's art throughout this entire book and how God is, is for art. That he, he utilizes it to be worshipped. Um, there's a, so we're reading through a book as worship pastors called On Beauty and Faith. And I wanted to read this quote from you that I thought was just so good. We are called to create and use things in the physical world to move people beyond the physical. Let me read that again. We, as artists, we are called to create and use things in the physical world to move people beyond the physical. What an awesome responsibility that is to get people out of just what they're seeing and taking in the physical world, but let's push them out beyond that. So as artists, we get to partake in that. God loves that. This past Wednesday, um, the college team, we went to campus for a few hours just to spend some time in prayer for you guys and to do a little bit of service planning. And Garland sent us out um, just so, to do some solo praying and um, just walking and, and whatnot. And, and I went and, and caught a bench and was sitting down and was praying for you guys. But then 
felt like just wanted to open up my Bible to Psalms and and see what God had to speak um, through just opening up His Word. And I rarely do that, just opening it up to to see, but I did, um, and I turned straight to Psalm 22. And if you don't know it, it starts with "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" And immediately I was like, "That's probably not the right one for this moment," but. Um, but I remembered that text, um, it was familiar. It's, it's what Jesus says when he's hanging on the cross in both gospels in Matthew and in Mark. Um, and that, that line has always troubled me a little bit because I couldn't understand how Jesus was surprised in that moment. Um, that's, what it, that's what it felt like to me, that he was surprised. Like, wait, what, God, why have you forsaken me? But when you look a little deeper, I think you start to see how Jesus is actually using art to make a proclamation of God's faithfulness. So let's look at Psalm 22. So he quotes, he quotes the first line of Psalm 22. And this is what Psalm 22 said. Here, here are some pieces of it. So it starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 15, my strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all the bones, and people look and stare at me. They divide my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. I'm gonna skip to 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. So as Jesus is on the cross, instead of in that moment, then the entire faith of the children of Abraham has come to this culmination, Jesus hanging on the cross. Instead of him saying, look, everything has come to fruition. In this moment, all of the texts have come to fruition. Your God is faithful. Look, it's happening right now. Instead of doing that, he uses a beautiful form of art. He says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Because he knows that if he starts that song, it will trigger the rest of that song for those around him. So they are learning through Jesus himself being artistic and it's powerful. And I, and I believe that it was probably more powerful when they felt that weight and that, that realization of what Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before. When they understood that, I think that, that was weightier than him just saying it verbatim. And that's what we can use art for, is to stir people's affections for the Lord. And so what I want us to do as a congregation is I want us to start creating and to start doing things like that. And we wanna showcase those things. So if it's photography, if it's songwriting, uh, if it's graphic design, if it's, um, fashion, anything like that, 
If you think you have a gift and, and you feel called into an art like that, we wanna showcase that for the glory of God. And so if, if that's you, come find me after the service. I would love to chat more about what that looks like. Um, I think it's a really cool way that we can inspire each other and push each other to the kingdom of God. So we're gonna sing about God's faithfulness, another form of art in song. We're gonna sing about that same faithfulness that we see Jesus proclaiming on the cross. Let's stand together and let's worship.
Jesus, it's that hope that we can cling to. It's that hope that we can rest in his goodness, his grace. And so, so God, remind us of that this evening. God, as, as Garland brings your word, God, would you remind us of your faithfulness, remind us of your goodness this evening. Thank you for your son. It's in his precious name. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Uh, how are you in there? Feeling all right? There's a lot of you here tonight. That's exciting. Um, we're, you brave the rain. I kind of love it when it rains. It's been a great weekend. Hey, by the way, about 5 o'clock yesterday, y'all thought I was a prophet. <laughs> Didn't you? Halftime, you were like, how did he know? He called it. Even I was, I was, I was like, I'm a prophet. I really am. I predicted this. On, and then, you know. But uh, I feel really good about it. Um, if you, if you think about it, and, and maybe, maybe we play different versions of this, but we, we play different little games throughout our life. A lot of these games that we play are subconscious. They're things that we, we don't articulate. They're things that are under the surface. Like, let me give you a, a, a for instance in my life. I don't know if any of you do this, but this is something I definitely do. When I am driving down uh, any, sort of, any sort of road that's got multiple lanes, so any kind of highway, which, by the way, look at those things. It's a disaster. Who would ever want to be anywhere near that? But when I'm driving on a highway, um, I have this internal game that I play, and I don't think anybody else is doing this game. Uh, it's, it's essentially, I convince myself that everyone on the highway is basically in a race with me, and it's subconscious. I don't really think about it. I'm thinking like three, four, five moves ahead, and I'm like trying to pass people. It drives my wife crazy. She's like, "Why are you driving like this?" I'm like, and I like, I like go by somebody, be like, "He never saw that coming." She's like, "He doesn't know we're, he doesn't know what's going on." What what drives me crazy is when I'm on the highway, and some of you are this person. Stop it. Uh, when I'm on the highway, and all three lanes are going the same speed because there's like a truck in the middle, somebody slow on the right, and then somebody slow got out in the fast lane, and everybody's going the exact same speed, and in the fast lane, it's kind of stacked up. You know the person I'm talking about that gets really impatient and then goes around like one car at a time and gets right up, on, right up behind you, and it's like, it's as if it's your fault, like, come on, move it along. It's like, I can't go anywhere right now. I hate that guy, and some of you are that guy. Like, when I go to the grocery store, I don't know if you do this, maybe I'm just very strange. Like, when I go to the grocery store and I'm checking out, I will look at the different checkout registers, and I will analyze them, and I will try to ascertain which one I think is the fastest of these eight or 10 checkout registers. And then I will play this game where, and I feel kind of smug about it, if I guess right, and somebody else went to one before me, I'll have this little swell of pride about me like, looks like I'm a prophet again, after all. I knew that, I, I could sense it in that checkout lady back there. She was speedy, 
You could, I could feel it. And we have these little internal games that we play. There's all sorts of these internal unwritten games that take place in sports. Like if you think about the unwritten rules, the unwritten code of baseball, like if you hit a home run and then you flip the bat, it's like the ultimate insult in baseball. And all, all sports have this unwritten code that people abide by. And I remember when I was in college, there was this certain kind of unwritten game that I remember playing. It was, it was subconscious, under the surface. And by the way, this is, this is me in college. Um, that is a handsome man right there. Well, that's a stud right there. And uh, I remember, um, I'm a lot thinner then. Uh, but anyway, uh, and how about, by the way, I think I could use art, the, the art of fashion myself, because I was rocking cargo shorts. I don't know if you know that. So I'm really into fashion. Um, so I know that there, was sev- there were several guys who were after this same particular girl. And... Uh, I remember this vividly. There was this sort of tension in uh, this friend group because there were several guys, and then there were some other guys that weren't in this friend group that all kind of liked this girl, and I knew who these guys were, and I liked this girl. And I remember thinking there was this, there was this like jockeying for position of like who's getting her attention and who's getting extra time with her and who does she like and who does she notice. And it, I remember it guiding even how I, how I texted her and the way that I spent time with her. I was thinking about it like is she noticing? Is this better than what the other guys are doing? And the thing about it is, looks like I won, all right? <laughs> looks like I won on that one, all right? So I won that. Other guys were chumps. And uh, so I, I remember this this weird game taking place. And if you think about it, now those are, those are some from, from my personal life, my experience. If you think about it, almost all of us in this room, in fact, almost everybody that all of us in this room know, we're all playing a particular game whether we realize it or not. Here's, here's what this game looks like. It's this game of trying to, and it's unwritten, we don't analyze it that much. We don't, it's subconscious. Is this game where we're desperately trying to earn our sense of value or honor or our worth or our esteem. And we do so by hoping that we get the affirmation, the attention, the affection, the, 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 the sight of other people. We want people to notice us. And we want them to affirm us. And we want to get our value and our sense of honor and our sense of pride from how we look in front of other people. And every single one of us are doing it. We do it with what happens, what we do online. We do that same thing with our social media. We do that with our friend group. We do that with our parents. It's this unwritten game that all of us are playing. And the sad thing is, the scary thing is, we're all trying to a little bit outdo each other. And we're all playing this game. And it causes so much anxiety in us. It causes a lot of fear in us, at least a constant comparison at least you're not only comparing with people that you know, but celebrities who you don't know, you're never going to meet. People on Instagram that you don't know and you're never going to meet. And it's, it, it's trapped us. And what we want to do is we want to get set free from this particular game. And to do that, we're going to have to get a different form of our value, a different form of our honor, a different place that is firm, that is strong, that we can run to, that won't let us down and takes us out of this rat race, out of this game. Are you with me? And what I'm calling this is just simply gospel-shaped 
honor. And what we're going to do is we're going to continue looking at this letter. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be going through this letter throughout the fall. If you came this morning to the Sunday morning service, uh, I taught this morning, and a lot of what we're going to look at is going to be similar. And let me encourage you, if, you, if, you're, if you're here on a repeat, let me encourage you to take notes and reteach this uh, three times this week to people in your life. Reteach it. And so when you hear the Bible taught, take notes, get your Bible out, let's get to work. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 12. Now, to give you the context of what's going on, Paul has gone out with his traveling team of missionaries all throughout the Roman world, and they came to this city called Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, people began to respond to the message of Jesus. They're hearing, just like, just like the couple was up here talking about it, they're hearing about Jesus saying, we want in on Jesus as the king. This is amazing. But then, things take a dark turn. The people in Thessalonica begin to revolt against Paul, and a riot breaks out, and they run him out of town. And what we're going to see is the context of this letter is Paul is worried on behalf of his friends that he's just left, and he wants to know how they're doing. So he sent one of his friends named Timothy up to Thessalonica to check on them and said, come meet me. Let's see what's going on. Come tell me the report. How are they doing? And upon hearing the news, he wrote this letter that you're now reading, 1 Thessalonians. And what we're going to see in chapter 2 is, uh, is interesting. What we're going to see is Paul has been insulted Paul has been dishonored. Now, I need your help here. Um, I, I've just recently learned that I am not aware of like the lingo of what people are saying now. I'm, I'm aging out, all right? I don't get it. So can you help me? Well, how would y'all say this word in modern vernacular? Like when I was growing up, it was when somebody disses you. What do you say for that now? Is it still disses you? Huh? You got to take, take, somebody take a mask down and tell me if I'm right on this. Is, is, is that, does that compute if I say somebody dissed you? No, what is the word for that now? They roast you? Is, let me ask this one. I'm, 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 you're helping me here. Uh, so is throwing shade, is that a thing still? Is that out? That, that's out. Hey, what is yeet? What is that? I'm actually asking. Somebody tell me what that means. It means nothing? It means anything? Yeet. Yeet on that. So it, it's just a catch-all word for anything? So you can be happy or sad and say yeet. Okay. I'm learning. Thank you. So you need to indulge me in this. I'm learning from you right now. Uh, can... I, I think I know how this one is used. So, so I was a, by the way, I was an English major, and so word use is important to me. It seems as if uh, the, the right context for the word bet now seems to be something like this, yeah, I'll do that. Is that right? Or, yeah, I like that? Is that bet? Hey, do you like that bet? Is that how, am I using that right? That's not right. Okay. I'm going to need somebody who knows to come talk to me. I need to take you out to coffee and learn. Okay, thank you for helping me. So, so the Apostle Paul has been roasted. Am I getting that right? He's been roasted. Um, the people in Thessalonica, they have, the, the group that's revolted against the gospel message, they have begun to spread a message of dishonor about Paul. And what they're doing is they're saying, that Paul guy, you know that dude that came in here? He, he's not in it for you. 
He doesn't really love you. He's like a traveling salesman. He's going from town to town trying to make a name for himself, and that's all he's in this for. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. His message is just some strange message about this crucified Jesus. You can't trust him. When the going got tough, he got out of here. And this message about Paul is beginning to circulate in Thessalonica, so much so that Timothy almost certainly has reported it to him. Hey, some of the people up there, they're saying some stuff about you, and it's not true. And we're going to see Paul begin to address that in this particular letter. Look at verse 3. He begins to address it in 1 Thess 2, right here. He says, for the appeal we make, hey, this thing that we did, this appeal that we made to you about Jesus, it doesn't spring from error or impure motives. We're not trying to trick you here. Look at verse five. Because we never used flattery or put up a mask to cover up our greed. This, this word that's uh, being used for flattery here, uh, it's only used this one time in the Bible. And uh, it's not used that often in ancient Greek uh, writing either. So we only have a handful of usage, usages. But here's what it means. Uh, and by the way, almost all of us have a friend like this in your world. Somebody who heaps up compliments on other people, but it's only to get something that they want on the backside. They, 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 they're all talk. And when they're in person with you, oh, they're just so nice. They heap up all the compliments on you. But then you find out it's only so they can get something that they want. And almost every friend group's got that person, right? Almost all of our friend groups has somebody in it that's all talk, always just praising everybody and complimenting everybody, then you find out later, they're just, they're just fooling you. Don't look around. If, you know that, if you're like, yeah, this guy right over here. Don't look around right now. Don't freak out. Uh, every friend group's got one. If right now you're like, I don't think our friend group's got one, you're probably it, okay? Um, <laughs> Paul says, we, we didn't use flattery. We didn't heap up compliments on you trying to get something in return. We didn't put on a mask to cover up our greed. You know God is our witness to this. And he's going to say in verse 6, we, we could have as apostles, we could have come in strong. We could have come in with our authority and said, you do what we say, we are apostles. But Paul says that's not our posture. That hasn't been our posture. And we're going to see right here. I think we're going to get insight into what Paul has. And this is where we're going. We're going to spend just, I won't, I won't, we're going about 12 more minutes. And if you can see this, if you can understand what Paul understands, it very well might set you free. Like tonight, you might be able to walk out of here and be set free from that game that all of us are playing, that exhausting, anxiety-filled game. Look at what he says. We're not trying to please people. You might as well underline it because he says it twice. We're not looking for the praise from people, from you or anyone else. Hey, Thessalonians, we're not in this to get praise from you. Paul knows that when you tether your Identity, when you tether your worth, when you tether your value and your honor to the praise that you receive from people, it will necessarily enslave you. By definition, it will trap you, it will own you. Uh, there's a game that uh, uh, I don't ever remember having it. I think they had it at the school I went to uh, growing up. Uh, I don't know if, if this game's ever still around. I think it teaches kids like dexterity. But it was a board, like a wooden board, and there were different pegs on it, and you can stretch like string or rubber bands and stuff to make shapes. Is this game still around at all? And you can make shapes, and you can make different things, and there's different color rubber bands and stuff like that. And I want you to take that, this pegboard, you can see a picture one here. The center peg, this is your honor, your identity. 
where you build the you, your esteem. And here's what Paul knows. And I think if you can see what Paul is trying to get you to see, then it might, you might be able to get insight into you and it might set you free. When you, if you're the center peg, when you build your affirmation, your honor, your value on the opinions of all those people around you, you are tethering like a rubber band around those, uh, those pegs. You are tethering your value now to the opinions and the approval of other people. And for some of you in the room, it might just be one or two other people and they, have, they own the weight of your value. Maybe it's expectations from your parents about what your college is gonna be or what your high school is gonna be or what your sports were supposed to be. And you're just enslaved to the approval you get from them. Uh, maybe it's uh, you're, you're a pledge or you're going, through, uh, you're going through rush and you're looking for the approval of older people than you and you can feel this, this slavery that you're experiencing where you are putting your value in the approval you're getting from those other guys or those other girls. Maybe it's teachers, maybe it's coaches, and your value and your worth and your approval comes from what they say about you. It's enslaving you to the opinions of people around you. Maybe you're like most of us. It's not just one or two people, some guy, some girl, your parents. Maybe it's dozens of people around you. Here's the scary thing. Just give me, give me 30 seconds to be really candid with you. Pastorally. As, as your pastoral team, we care about you and we value you and we love you. And so I'm gonna say this, the way that social media has tethered your value to the opinions of other people, dozens of other people, has enslaved and ensnared your generation and my generation. And Paul knows it. He knows that when you seek your identity in the praise of other people, it will only get you trapped to it. It leads to one of two places. On the one hand, it leads to codependency, where we desperately need that affirmation. We give our, the way we think and our behavior to the approval we get from that other person. You'll lean into unhealthy relationships because you're codependent. You have to have that person's approval. You will give away your body in ways you didn't want to with somebody that you're dating sexually because you desperately want their approval of you. And your identity is tied to it. You start giving your body away. You give your heart away. You give your soul away. You give your time. You give everything away. So those different, those different things you're tethered to in your life. Or maybe it's not. Maybe that's not you. Maybe the other side is you. You, you say, man, that's not me. But you're trying to build your honor. You're trying to build your worth. You're trying to build your value in what you're contributing to this world. And you see people in your relationships as pawns to be moved around to accomplish your goals. They're just tools or instruments in your hand to get your honor. You know what we call that? We call that abuse, where you use people, you manipulate people to get your sense of worth. It is a terrifying, anxiety-filled, dangerous game, and almost every single one of us are playing it. Now, I don't know about you, that's really heavy, isn't it? And I think what we're going to see is Paul might be giving you and I something. He might be giving us a secret to be taken out of that game. So let's see what we see. Let's see what Paul does here. Look at verse two. Paul says, man, I've already been, 
I've already experienced unbelievable dishonor. I've already been slighted in the utmost way. I was thrown in jail. I was beat down. I was arrested. They did all of that illegally because I'm a Roman citizen back in Philippi. You know what happened. Now, time out. Paul had gotten unbelievably dishonored in Philippi. You can read about it in Acts 16. But he wasn't crushed. I want you to hear it. How do you know you've tethered your value, your worth, your honor to the approval of other people? When they don't give you that affirmation, you get crushed. When they don't give you that approval, you get crushed. Or maybe you're like me. You don't feel it emotionally with sadness. You feel it emotionally with anger, and you lash out in anger. When you don't get the affirmation that you want from other people, or, they, or you get slighted by somebody else, or they don't give you... They give somebody else the approval you, th- you think you deserved. The girl or that guy notices somebody else instead of you, and it makes you just well up with anger or run down in depression. Paul has neither. He goes, man, I was in Philippi, and they insulted me like you wouldn't believe. But look at him. Look at his poise. He says, we dared to keep going. I wasn't crushed. I didn't well up in rage. I, he said, I had the courage. I had the boldness to keep going, not crushed. Think about it. Paul has a poise. He has a courage. He has a a worth in himself that is buoyant. It floats above the game. It's unbelievable. Think about this kind of poise in your life. Not tethered to the last grade you got, not tethered to the last relationship you were in, not tethered to the way you look in that last picture and how many likes it got or didn't got, not tethered to, can you imagine? This kind of poise. He's going to continue and say, man, this enabled me to come among you guys as like a young child, like a nursing mother. Those were positions of dishonor in the first century world. And Paul goes, I I took the low position. We're going to look in a couple weeks. This is what ministry looks like to serve. Let's take the low position. He's going to say in verse 9, you saw us. We didn't take anything from you. Night and day we worked in order not to be a burden from you. We were holy and righteous and blameless among you. Don't you remember you saw us? Paul has found a secret that has set him free from the approval and the praise of other people. And he's telling it to us. He says, we're not trying to please people. I'm living with a different goal in mind. I'm living with a different sense of honor. I'm living with a different, different purpose. I've, I've tasted something better and it set me free. He doesn't run to either one of these two places. He doesn't have to. And it actually frees him. Look at verse eight. If you want to know a verse about what ministry looks like, if you're trying to do ministry in your uh, your house, in your dorm, in your neighborhood, if you're leading a cell group, if you're leading in our Fayette kids or a college group, if you want to know what ministry looks like, this is it. Paul says, I'm not codependent on you and I'm not trying to use you as tools for me because I love you. Man, we loved you so much, we were able to give away our whole self to you. No mask, vulnerable, open, fully known, fully loved, enabling the relationship to actually be one where you're encouraging and comforting each other and not playing that game. Can you imagine this in relationships? So the question might be, how in the world do we break through? I mean, right? Like, okay, cool. 
that's awesome, Garland. I get it. Uh, we're playing this game, and that kind of sucks. And then uh, Paul's got something awesome, and good for Paul, but that's Paul. What about me? How do I break through? It's been in our passage the whole time, so I just want you to see it. Uh, we've, we've, we've highlight, we haven't highlighted it yet, but then we'll highlight it now. He says, I speak to you the gospel of God. I've been entrusted with the gospel to impart to you not only the gospel, but we proclaim to you the gospel of God. The word gospel means good announcement, good news. It's a message. It's a story. And Paul says, I found a different story. It's a story about a, a king, but he's not like any other king. Look at the last verse, verse 12. He said, this king, he's invited me into his kingdom And he's given me all of the glory. Look at what he says in verse 12. I've been urged, he said, I'm urging you to live lives worthy of God, the one who calls you into his kingdom with a new king. And he's also called you into his glory. Here's the Greek word, doxa. Say it on three. One, two, three. Say it like you really like the word. It's kind of cool. On three. One, two, three. Cool, right? You just said Greek stuff. Um, this word dox, that means glory or praise or honor. So let's think about what Paul's saying. If you can, if you can, if you can track with this, if you can understand this, it'll break, you, it'll break you through, it'll set you free. He says, I already have all of the praise, all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the doxa that I could ever need. I've already received it. It was handed to me. I was, I was adopted into this king's family and now doxa. He can look at the game that we all play and go, all that for doxa? I've already got it. And when you see it, when it becomes clear in your mind, when it becomes clear in your heart, it will, it sets you free. Now, just so you can see this king, here's how we close. I want to take you over to Mark chapter 10. You don't have to turn there, or you can if you want. In Mark chapter 10, uh, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He's got a date with the Roman cross, and he knows it. He keeps telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be resurrected. And as he's approaching the city, uh, his disciples ask this question. Uh, and it's not a bad question, by the way. I think we, we get on to these guys. It's not that bad of a question. Teacher, can you do something for us? Hey, tell you what, give us whatever we want. Jesus says, that's a dangerous question, by the way. Uh, and Jesus says, okay, what do you want? And their, their, their question's not bad. I mean, Jesus keeps saying, I am the king. You know what they're thinking? Yeah! All right, because we're with you, man. And we know what kings do. Kings ride into town and they conquer victoriously and they sit on thrones. So here's their question. When you go take your throne, can you let one, by the way, these are brothers, uh, James and John. uh, Can one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your doxa? When you get honored, we want the places of honor. It's not a bad question, actually. But look at what Jesus does. It says, he called them 
together. Now, I don't know how this went down. I, I love trying to visualize this. Uh, I don't know if they brought Jesus separately and were like, hey, Jesus, come over here. We got a question. Um, can we sit on your throne with you? Don't let the other guys know. Uh, we want to go ahead and ask first in case it's, that's the way. It's like a first come, first serve kind of thing. And look at what Jesus does. Now, I, I, I don't think he's, he's doing it this posture, but he calls the rest of the group over. Hey, everybody, come over here. I don't think he's doing this. Hey, come over here. Look at what these two idiots just asked me. God, can you believe James and John? Morons. Get over here. Let me tell you about these idiots. He's not doing that, okay? Jesus has to make sure they get this. So he calls the rest of the guys over, all the disciples. And he says, you know, James and John, the rest of you guys, you know that the way that kings of the world always operate, they lord it over their subjects. They exercise authority. They're always positioning for power to get more and more and more honor and glory for themselves. And when they get it, they hold on to it. And they look down at other people and they make sure they keep it. By the way, that right there, what I just described, is the base of all of the brokenness, injustice, divorce, pain, backstabbing, drama that we see in our world. We call it sin, and it's made a wreck of the human condition. And Jesus says, when you go after the world's way of honor, the world's way of glory, it'll get you in this game, and it will always enslave you. Look at what he says, though. He says, I've got a different way to glory, a different way to honor. Not so with you. Instead, watch him flip it on its head. Whoever wants to be great, you need to become a servant of all. If you want to be first, become a slave. None of this works without verse 45. And you won't be set free without verse 45. Here's how we close. If we stopped it at verse 44, then I think you might leave tonight going, okay, I get it. This is a, a talk on being a better Christian who isn't into that game and doesn't have codependent problems and you know, doesn't go back to those same places and can, doesn't struggle with all that. Here's the problem. For almost all of us, we've been trying to get out of that, those codependent patterns. We've been trying to get out of that rat race. We've been trying to get out of this jockeying for position. We've been trying to get out of it for maybe years and you hadn't been set free. Without verse 45, you can't be. So, Look at what Jesus says. For even the Son of Man, that's a title for kings, by the way. Just write Daniel chapter 7 in your Bible. Daniel 7, it's a title of the Messiah King. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and hear it, to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's how you break through. Jesus took the place of dishonor on the cross. The shame that had flooded into the human condition of all of this jockeying for position and clamoring for glory that led to all of the sin that has affected and infected all of us. And Jesus substituted his place on the humiliation and the dishonor of a Roman cross so that we might have all of the doxa that is due him in us. It's, the, it's an unbelievable story. This is the message of the gospel, and Paul's understood it, and it set him free. Do you? 
Do you understand it in your mind and in your heart? And are you willing to let your mind be programmed every single day, not by all of those different rubber bands in your life and all those different rubber bands on your social media account? Are you willing to start every single day and walk throughout the day saying, Lord, I've got all the doxa I could ever want because I got it from you. It'll set you free. And then we might be able to go love our city and love our neighborhoods and love our uh, houses and our apartments. We can love them with a radical love because we've been set free. If that's you tonight, you're saying, I want that. I've never tasted that. Our team would love to process that. The person that brought you would love to process that. Uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the service, our team will be right down here. We'd love to process what that looks like with you. Tonight could be your night to be set free. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna stand and I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing about his goodness and his grace. So would you stand with me and let me pray for us. Jesus, you took our dishonor on the cross so that we might have honor in you, that we might live lives worthy of your kingdom. You called us into your kingdom and into your doxa and all we would ever need we have in you. It's so hard for us to live out daily. This is not some decision we made when we were seven. This is a daily gospel truth we have to live by. I need it. We need it. We break through and get set free every day. Help us to live it. And right now we sing it and we declare it together. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing.
kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal
in him, and all those songs we just sang are about, he conquered the power of sin in his resurrection. In his death and resurrection, we're set free, and we can live in that freedom. So Fellowship Sunday night, we love you. Let's go walk in that freedom this week. If you have questions, we'd love to process that with you. If you wouldn't mind, uh, go outside, out of here, and uh, that way we can be safe. We love y'all. We'll see y'all right back here next week. Have a great week, everybody.